So Lord, I thank you for, for tonight, and I ask that you, you join us tonight, and you just be our guest, and that you use me as a vessel to speak your word, and that it not be my word, but yours that we're going through tonight, and I ask you bless this study, and give us all a heart to, to focus on it, and just have discernment and understanding, in Jesus' name, amen. So tonight, we're going through, we're going through Genesis 20, and so it's only 18 verses, so before we get too far into it, we're just going to go ahead and read through it and then start breaking it down. So it says, in 20, Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, She is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, She is my sister? And did she not also say, He is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in a dream, in the dream, Yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, and so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all yours will die. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials, and when he told them, all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such a great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should not be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, What was your reason for doing this? Abraham replied, I said to myself, There, there is surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is, my, is, she is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not my mother. And she became my wife. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, This is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female servants, her slaves, and gave them to Abraham. And he returned Sarah, to, Sarah his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, My land is before you. Live wherever you like. To Sarah he said, I am giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offense against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech and, Abimelech and his wife and his slave girls so they could have children again. For the Lord had closed up every womb in Abimelech, Abimelech's household because of Abraham's wife Sarah. So as we start out, we, this is right after Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed, and Abraham had kind of moved on and moved into the region of the Negev. And Negev means south, so he moved into the southern region from where they were at, and he kind of settled in Gerar. And it says, In Gerar, Abraham said of his wife, She is my sister. Then Abimelech, who was the king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her, as his, took her for his harem. So Sarah, she had to be a really, really beautiful woman. Because you have to remember, Sarah here was 90 years old 
And Abraham still was worried. You know, my wife is so beautiful, they're going to take her from me and kill me to get to her. And to think that she, you know, she's 90 and he still has that worry. And you know, he obviously had good reason because he ended up taking her. And this isn't the first time that Abraham had done this. He, you know, we go back to chapter 12 in Genesis. And Abra- when Abraham had left the land of his father and headed in the same region in the Negev, he found there was famine in Negev and then continued on down into Egypt. And we got to Egypt. He, you know, before he entered Egypt, he told Sarah the same thing. He said, you know, say that you know, she's my sister. And you know, back then she was 65. So it's 25 years ago. Even at 65, still, you know, he's worried. You know, she must have just been an amazingly beautiful woman to, to still be that impactful at 65 and still at 90, still you know, drawing that attention from all the men. Amazing. And so Abraham feared that the people were going to kill him for his wife because she was so beautiful. And the Bible only tells us about these two situations or these two instances where this happened, but we see him repeat it 25 years apart. So he did it when she was 65, he did it again when she was 90. And so it could be thought that this may have been something he used as a, a method of self preservation throughout the years. That, you know, when he started when they. They left the region where his home was with his father, and he went into the Negev and then into Egypt, and he said, you know, whenever we come upon people, tell them that you're, you're my sister so that we can, you know, stay safe. And then, you know, this wasn't something that Abraham thought of in the heat of the moment, like, you know, they're coming after us. I don't know what we're going to do. I think they're going to, you know, kill me to get to you and be able to keep you. Let's just say that I'm your brother. It wasn't something that he came up with, you know, spur of the moment. This was a thought-out plan. This was, you know, as they're, they're going, and before they entered Egypt, he's telling her, you know, this is how you can show, show people you, that you love me. You can you know, show me that you, peop- that you love me. Tell people that you're my sister. It's kind of a strange way to, to show your love, say that, you know, it's your sibling rather than your wife, but that was what he was asking for. So it's something that, it's not a sin he fell into. It's something that he walked into. He had a plan, and he moved forward, and then, followed through with it it isn't exactly the the kind of thing that you would think god would really approve of and so it's something that you know we also do this that we you know we do it as much as we're thinking you know we're we're avoiding sin and we're walking a path and we're trying to avoid sin yet even as we're trying to avoid it and we're planning to avoid it things come up and we know we should be moving in a certain direction and and moving towards god Yet we see this sin and we're like, I'm not going to do that. Yet we find ourselves, we keep walking towards that sin and we don't turn from it and then we do it. It's not that we fell into it. We were tempted. We think to ourselves, I shouldn't and shouldn't and shouldn't and then I do. And it's just one of those things that not all sin is something that we fall into. It's something that oftentimes we just keep walking towards steadily right into the sin. It's something that we have to really watch out for in our own lives. It's just like the Apostle Paul said in Romans 7.15, I do not understand what I do for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And you know, we all fall into that same thing, that there's things that we don't want to do. We all have those weaknesses and the sins that we, we end up committing. Even though we don't want to do it, we still tend to fall. And so on the fill-in, the, that's number one on on the handout is often we do not fall into sin, but we walk into it. 
So again here, we see Abraham staying in the city of Gerar. And while he's, while he's there, he's telling everybody that you know, Sarah's his sister. And you know, in Gerar, Abimelech, Abimelech takes Sarah to be part of his harem. He, he sees her, and just like Abraham thought, you know, at 90 years old, she is so stunning that the king of the city, he has to have her. And you know, he takes her to be part of his harem. And then next we see is God appears to Abimelech in a dream. He tells him that he's as good as dead because of the woman that he's taken because she's married. So he's basically he's committing adultery, taking another man's wife. And God's telling him, you know, you're dead. You've committed the sin and, and you have committed a sin to die. And God's condemning him for that sin of taking another man's wife. And then Abimelech pleads and says, that, you know, I haven't even gotten near her. You know, don't, I haven't done anything wrong. I haven't even touched her. I've, you know, I took her, but I didn't take her. So, you know, have some pity on me. And Abimelech pulls from, you know, the playbook of Abraham, you know, from back in chapter 18 and says, you know, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Because he's like, you know, is there any way you could say, you know, I didn't do anything wrong, you know, same sort of thing that Abraham was doing, trying to plead with God in 18. And he says, you know, did he not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't she also say, he is my brother? I've done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. And in the NIV, it says with a clear conscience and clean hands. But if you look at the original language in Hebrew, the word for clear conscience is the word Tom. Ironically, Tom's not here tonight. But that is what clear conscience is. When you look at the original language, it's Tom. And the meaning of the word Tom is integrity. So he's saying that you know, he did this with integrity. And this is the first time the word integrity is found in the Bible. That word isn't used up until Genesis 20, right there. And there's a principle called the principle of first mention when it comes to Bible study. And it basically is saying that God puts words that are key words as a first mention in a specific place for a specific reason. So it's one of those things, if a word like integrity is first mentioned here, we want to look at you know, why, why is it there? So you know, why is it so important that the word integrity is used here? And if we continue on to the next verse in the, in the passage, we can see it says, God responds to Abimelech and says that I know you did, did this with a clear conscience or integrity, and that is why I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. So God has kept her from being touched or taken. He didn't let him go near her because he took her with integrity. He didn't have any bad intentions about it. It was... He thought she was a woman free to be taken, that to be taken as a wife, that she didn't belong to anybody else. It was just Abraham's sister, so there was, there was no sin to be committed if she was to be his wife. And so he had integrity in the way that he acted, and so God spared him and gave him the opportunity to not sin against God because of that integrity that he had. And so number two on the handout says, God keeps Abimelech from sinning because of his integrity. So God had kept Abimelech from touching Sarah, but God had also done more than that. As we read in the final verses of the chapter, it says that God had closed up the womb of all women in the city, or of his family, of his household. And so that's why when we read that God told Abimelech that he was as good as dead, he basically was saying, you know, you're dead because of the sin you're committing. It was because at that point he had cut off the ability of any of the women to have any more children. So if he doesn't do what God is saying... That would be the end of him. He would die, 
his offspring, there would be no offspring, that none of his household would be able to have children, and that would be the end of his line. He would not just him himself die, but his entire line would be gone. Because if they can't have any offspring, no, no reproduction, that's it. And so that's a, the condemnation for the sin that had taken place of adultery. And so what is the payment for sin? And what's the cost of sin? If we look to Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. So when we sin, the penalty for sin is death. That we're to die if we sin. And so number three on the handout is the payment for sin is death. So God leaves Abimelech a way out of his sin. So let's read on. We, say, we read, Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and yours will die. So if Abimelech trusts in the Lord and returns Sarah, then he'll live. So he's kind of given him a way out. And God also does the same thing for us. If we go back to Romans 6.23 and we read the full verse, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So, you know, what did Abimelech need to do to get out of the payment of, of his sin? All he had to do was to trust in the Lord and turn from what he had done. That was it. It was a simple thing. God told him what he did was wrong, and he had to turn from it and just trust on the Lord. So we too have that same escape from our sin, that by trusting in the Lord and accepting Christ into our lives, you know, by doing this, there's repentance. When we, when we take, the, take Christ into our lives and the Holy Spirit comes to indwell in us, there's repentance of the sin that we're committing. And we turn from our sins. It's not to say that we don't make mistakes, that we don't continue to commit sins, but there's a conscious repentance of the sins that we do commit. We continue to repent when we, when we fall short. You know, we still make those mistakes, and we have that repentance, just as Abimelech did. And so number four on the handout is when we accept Christ into our lives, there's repentance, and we turn from sin. So returning on to the verse, we go to verse 7. It says, God says to Abimelech, Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. Now here we go back to the principle of first mention again. The first time in the Bible that the word prophet is used is right here. They didn't, there's no other place before this in the Bible that prophet comes up. So again, there must be a reason for it that God is putting prophet in here for something important. It's, he, there's a reason for it. It's not just a, a situation that comes up. It's because God has a plan for it to be used there. And it gives a, a message that's really important for all of us. It seems like a strange place to bring up the word. You know. So what is a prophet? A prophet is one who speaks on God's behalf or a representative of God. And so number five on the handout is a prophet is a representative of God and speaks on his behalf. So if I were in God's place, you know, right here in this situation, I don't know if I would have had the nerve to call Abraham my representative at this you know, particular junction. Abraham had just given his wife off to you know, save his own skin, you know, avoid getting attacked so that they wouldn't kill him to get to her. So he's kind of put her as a shield in front of himself. He, he'd done it before. 
he hadn't learned from his mistake that he'd done the first time it comes up and is mentioned. And in truth, he'd been committing this probably for some time. You know, 25 years, he did it once, he's doing it again now 25 years later. It was kind of his plan from the beginning that this is what we're going to do when we come to places. So chances are he did this over and over and over again throughout those 25 years. Even though the Bible doesn't specifically say it, it would make sense that that was kind of the plan he was following. And so, like I had mentioned, you know, he, Abraham had done this 25 years earlier in Egypt with Pharaoh. And you know, he states in, in verse 13, right here in chapter 20, he says, And when God made me wander from my father's household, I said to her, This is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. So right there, it's like, this is my plan. Let's, let's do this. I would think she would have said, no, this is crazy. I'm not going to do that. But she submitted to what he had said, and, and she went along with it. It, it was to protect him. I mean, obviously, she, she loved him. There was no doubt about that. It's just one of those things you think... My wife, I know, would be like, uh, I think that's going to be kind of a sinful thing to do. We probably shouldn't do that. Kind of try to steer me right. But in this case, this is what happened. And that's just kind of, that was his plan that he went with and what he worked through moving forward. And so it's a practice he'd been using throughout his travels. And so God decides this is a time to bring out the word prophet. You know, my representative, the one who speaks for me, this guy who gives his wife to others because of fear of his own life, and this guy, you know, who continues to do this, this is my guy. This is the one I want. So give him his wife back, because he's a prophet. This is my representative. And it seems like an odd representative for God, this person who's been going down this road of committing the same thing, and he hasn't learned from it. He it keeps getting caught in this mess with it, and there's problems come up because of it. But God's saying, this guy's my, my prophet. He's my representative here, so give him his wife back. Even though he said that it was his sister, give him his wife back. So why is that important for us? Oftentimes we may think that, you know, we've messed up, we've sinned, you know, God, God won't be able to use me anymore. How can he continue to use me? I've, I've made such a mess of things, I've, I've sinned on these things. And then we can look at Abraham, and God called him too. God said that he would be the father of many nations. He said that the world would be blessed through him. Yet Abraham was a mess. Even though he'd been called. He was you know, doing God's work, but he was just a mess. The things he was doing. And he spent 25 years passing his wife off as his sister just to keep himself safe. But still, God uses him and he can use us. Even when we're messing up, when we're falling, we're doing things we shouldn't. God will continue to use us, and he'll continue to call us. So number six on the handout is God will continue to use us even after we have failed him. And then verse eight, early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials, and when he told them all, all, when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, what have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you brought such a great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what was your reason for doing this? So this is a sad state when you know, a non-believer is rebuking the one who is the believer, that is God's servant. That that's the kind of thing I would hope that wouldn't happen to any of us, but 
it's certainly possible that it would. And it happened to Abraham, so it certainly could happen to us too. And going on to verse 11, Abraham replies, I said to myself, and we can stop right there, I'm sure, but we'll go ahead and read through that. Abraham replied, I said to myself, this is surely, there is surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. So first, Abraham here is trying to explain the half-truth that he had spoken about her being his sister, kind of to justify his actions, you know, saying, besides, she really is my sister. You know, it's, I didn't lie, it's, it's true. But it was really only a half-truth. And so one thing we also want to remember is that, and which is also the fill-in on number seven, a half-truth is a full lie. That when we're holding back part of the truth intentionally, it's the same as lying. And then the second thing here is Abraham is saying, you know, I said to myself, which is like saying, you know, I thought, and thinking to yourself, like, I got an idea. And just by saying, saying that, that, you know, I thought, that was his first mistake, that, you know, he thought. He had his own idea about how to do things, how to keep them safe, how to avoid the troubles that would come upon them. You know, he thought, and he came up with a plan, and he left, when he left his father's household, that that was his plan. He thought of something, and he followed through with that. This is something that you know, he planned out. If we look at Proverbs 3.5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. I'm sure we've all heard that verse. And you know, that's what number eight is on the handout. Is that in all things, we need to remember to trust in the Lord with all our heart, and lean not on our own understanding. So Abraham was leaning on his own understanding. He came up with a plan because of what he understood. He didn't think to trust in the Lord that you know, God's calling him out from his father's household to the place he's going to show him. He didn't think, okay, well, if God's calling me. He's, he's got a reason. I should just follow him and not worry about it, and he'll keep me safe. He has a plan for me. But instead of that, he thought, you know, I need to come up with a plan because it's dangerous out there. There's a lot of problems. You know, my wife, she's so beautiful. You know, we need to be careful, so I'll, I'll come up with a plan to keep us safe. And that's the kind of thing we do in our own lives. You know, we feel that God's calling us somewhere, and he wants us to do something, yet we kind of come up with our own plan to get to that point. We see the place he wants us to get to, but instead of just listening to God and following straight to what he says, we start to think, okay, well, to get there, what do I need to do? And we start to think of our own plan, just like Abraham did here. And that's one of the mistakes that we can fall into, and we want to be really careful about that, to trust on the Lord, not not our own understanding, but God's understanding. He knows what we need. So as we go through our lives and we come up against, you know, we'll come up with our own plans and ideas of what to do. I mean, instead of praying and following God's direction, we sin. We fall short. We miss the mark. And this is all of us. It's something that we all do. You know. So why does God keep using us rather than kind of casting us aside and saying, okay, well, he's just a disaster now. It's time to look for another one more worthy. Somebody more righteous to, to use as his servant. You know, why does he keep holding on to us there? Again, if we go back to the book of Romans, we can look at chapter 11, verse 29. It says, for God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. So what do they mean by they're irrevocable? You know, they're permanent. You know, God does not change his mind about us. 
He doesn't make a mistake about who he calls. He knows who he's calling. Even with, when we might think, how could he be calling me? I'm a disaster. This doesn't make any sense. But God knows. He's living outside of time. He knows what we have the potential to become. And if we follow him, we'll reach that potential. And when he calls you, he will not leave you. He'll be with us always. And this is really a great assurance for all of us that when we feel God calling us and God with us, we can be sure he's always going to be there, that he's not going to cast us aside. When we fall and we sin and we just come short, we don't, make, you know, we don't hit that mark that we're shooting for, we don't reach the mark that God's calling us to be at, he's still there with us. And he's still going to continue to be there with us, just like he was with Abraham. He didn't cast him aside. He chose you know, that weak point and called him his prophet, his representative out in the world. I know it gives me a lot of hope to know that you know, when I do stumble and fall, that you know, I have the faith that the Lord will always be there with me. You know, he's called me, and I know that, that that calling won't be revoked from me. You know, it's not like a driver's license or something. You know, when I was young, I lost my license for six months. It got revoked. You know, I had made some bad choices, and I had consequences. You know, I lost my license for six months. But God's call isn't like that. God calls us and he won't revoke that call regardless of the mistakes that we make. So number nine on the handout is God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Then we go to verses 14 through 18. And it says, Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham. And he returned Sarah Sarah his wife to him. And Abimelech said, My land is before you. Live wherever you like. And to Sarah he said, I am giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offense against you because because of all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female slaves so that they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all, all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife Sarah. So here we see that Abraham prayed for Abimelech and God, prayed, God heard his prayer and healed Abimelech and his household. Uh, one of the other things we see here is that Abimelech gave, gave, this shekel, or gave the, the thousand shekels of silver to Abraham for Sarah. He was, you, know, you can see that repentance. He's like, I'm paying the, the due for the penalty I did, even though he did it with integrity. He had, had no ill intent when he did it. It was in good faith that he took her as a wife, but he's still paying the penalty for having took her, which shows his repentance. And so even though Abraham had lost his, or even though Abraham had lost his chance to witness to Abimelech, you know, he kind of ruined that opportunity as a witness because of the actions that he had committed. That he went in there with a lie and just planted it out and followed through, deceiving everybody. So it's kind of hard to witness to somebody once you've wronged them. If, if we go around and somebody catches us in a lie or sees us doing things we shouldn't do and then we try to witness to them, they look at us like you know, we're just some fool. You, you don't have that opportunity to continue witnessing to somebody that you've offended or you've wronged. They, they won't listen to you. They don't hear what you're saying. They won't accept that. But even though we lost that opportunity to witness... 
he could still pray for him. God gives direction for Abraham to pray for Abimelech so that everything will be taken care of. And God hears that prayer and he restores Abimelech and his household so that they can have children again, that he won't die. He won't be cut off at that point. And so when we go through the same situations in our lives, you know, we commit offenses against people, lose that opportunity to witness to Christ. And people of the world, they look at Christians and they say, you know, we're a bunch of hypocrites. And you know what? They're right. We are a bunch of hypocrites. We preach one way to behave. We preach you know, things that we shouldn't do. We preach against sin. We, we go out and then we sin. You know, it's so hypocritical. We, we tell people what not to do and then we go and do those things. And it isn't that we're better than anybody else. But we're just you know, preaching God's word. But people look at us as hypocrites because we preach God's word and then we sin against God's word. Just like everybody else in the world does. That's part of the fall that we went through you know, because of the sin in the Garden of Eden. So we are hypocrites. We make mistakes and then you know, we try to witness to the world and all they see is the hypocrisy that we're, we're living sometimes. So number 10 on the handout is Christians are hypocrites. So when we've lost that opportunity with somebody due to an offense that we've committed or things that we've done, you know, what, what can we do? You know, we can't witness to them anymore. They won't listen to us. So what else can we do? Just like Abraham, he couldn't be a witness. You know, God still called Abraham a prophet, his representative, and you know, he'll do the same with us. We can do just like Abraham did. We can pray. We can pray for those that we've offended. We can pray for those that see us sinning. Even though we can't witness to them, we can still pray for them. Pray for them to, to see that we're just like they are, that we're human too. Yet we have a light inside of us because we've accepted Christ. And that they can see that light even through our hypocrisy that we live sometimes. And, you know, God will hear our prayers and he can restore them just like he restored Abimelech. And so on number 11 on the handout, it says, even when we have failed in our witness, we can still pray and intercede for others. And so we don't want to forget to always pray, to lean on God for our understanding, not to lean on our own understanding or our own ways, our own thoughts, that all things that we do to turn to God. When we're out there and we see that God's calling us and we think to ourselves, I'm going to make my own plan to get where God wants me. It's fine to, to set up plans and think of ways how you're going to you know, get to what you feel God is calling you, but the first part of that plan that you come up with has to be to pray. You know, we need to turn to God and ask him, how do you want me to get there? Lead me. You know, give me understanding. Give me discernment. Give me wisdom in this situation. And when we ask for it, God will give it to us. We just have to be patient. We have to listen. And we have to spend time with God to be able to understand his voice when he speaks to us. So when we come up with those plans in our lives, let us not forget to pray. To always stop and pray. Let that be the first step in all things that we do as we ask God for direction. Ask him how he wants us to get there. And not just trust in our own understanding, but to lean on his understanding. Because God will give us direction and understanding in all things. 
as long as we trust in him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the word that you have left us. I thank you that you give us the opportunity to understand how it is that in this world that we live in that we're drawn in so many directions and that we sin and we, we fail you. That through your word we can see how we can have escape from the sins that we've committed. And especially this week with the celebration of the resurrection that we know through the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we're able to have those sins taken away from us. Not like Old Testament sacrifices that just cover sin, but with the pure blood of Christ that completely separates us as far as the East is from the West from our sins. And I thank you, Lord, for that wonderful gift that you've given us all. And I pray that all of us and, and those that we come in contact with, that we all be able to take part in that gospel gift and to be able to share the gospel with others as well, so that they too can have the gift of eternal life with you. In Jesus' name, amen.